Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good. So you're pretty familiar with video stuff. What did you think of the March 25th event? I don't know. It just seemed kind of different than the other events. This was really more focused on content heavy. This is what Apple is doing with content. And I don't know. It just didn't have the same feel to me. I like the technology aspect of what they provide. And they were just talking about their content distribution platforms for the most part. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're in their financial meetings, they keep talking about services, services, services. And it seems like they're trying to position themselves as different ways of making service money, which unfortunately, I feel like they're making a lot of that service money off of in-app purchases in addictive games as opposed to like more robust services or overcharging for iCloud storage. That seems like where they're making their money when it comes to services. And I think that hopefully they'll like diversify that portfolio a little bit with the TV stuff and the games and the credit card. And I feel like I'm missing something. Well, they do have the news service. That's the thing I'm forgetting because I don't read the news. So that's probably why. Well, I think it's a strong positioning for them with the news. And of course, Apple Music is a huge competitor to Spotify. Yeah. I think they're doing well in those areas. Plus, you got the iCloud. Plus, I think where they've really are trying to push into that they really haven't developed as well is obviously, you know, with the arcade, Apple's new gaming. Well, I don't want to say gaming system, but their mobile gaming applications and stuff like that. Well, it's not even just mobile, but it's Apple TV, it's Mac, it's everything. Yeah. And that's not been their strong suit. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, iOS, maybe, you know, the handheld mobile games, I think they've really paved a way. But for outside of that, especially, you know, with the massive online games and stuff like that, I just don't think that they're in that market. And to tag on to that is the Apple TV, TV Plus system. I think that that's another instance. I know that we talked about a little bit that where they're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Do they have the distribution platforms to do this appropriately? Yeah, they do. But I'm not so sure they're there with the content. It's like, I think that the arcade and the Apple TV TV Plus system might be a little bit a harder sell. I almost want to say, so there's like the Apple TV app, right? And then there's Apple TV Plus. Apple TV app is basically taking the Apple TV software and putting it as an app on various like third party TVs. And to me, that's like competing more with what Amazon does with like their Amazon Prime channels, where they're essentially allowing like, say, Showtime, who doesn't want to go into the whole business of, you know, providing their own streaming platform and just saying, here, here's the video files you know, serve this up on your own system and then Apple or Amazon will take a cut if you buy the channel through Apple or Amazon. And I want to say like that's even going to be more successful, I would think, than like Apple TV Plus, where you're basically totally dependent on like the content to sell for itself. And, you know, maybe with like Spielberg and Oprah, they can do it, but there's no guarantee of that. (laughs) I don't know. You know what I mean? 
But, well, exactly. I mean, you're basically trying to charge a service and compete with heavy hitters like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. And now in the fall, Disney Plus is going to release their uh, own streaming service as well. And the difference being is that Apple is is looking to do this own their own original content going up against these behemoths that have either created their own content for years. Well, like Disney, let's go decades. Yeah, right. Practically 100 years. Yeah. And so it's just, like I said, I think that that's an uphill battle because, yeah, you have names like Steven Spielberg and you have names like Oprah Winfrey. What? I mean, that's just one. There's just a couple of names versus this whole system of budgets being in the streaming space, you know, billions of dollars being shifted into this content creation space. And, you know, Netflix and Hulu, I mean, they were, they built their business on the back of distributing content for years before they decided to go into making their own. But people were used to the platform. And same thing with Amazon. Right. They were in the business of distributing content before they're like, wow, we're making all this money. Let's make our own. And now, now those three platforms that I just mentioned, Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon, they're making award-winning, critically acclaimed pieces of content. And that took years. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did take years. Yeah. And then now you have Disney. I mean, that's going to take a dent out of all those other threes. They're the three. I mean, it's just because they own dang near, they basically own what I paid attention to in my childhood. You know, it's just crazy. I'm not saying that Apple can't do it. Apple can't find a way. But I just feel like it's a really, really uh, big hill to climb. Yeah. If you're really interested in this stuff, I just listened to uh, an episode of Exponent where he talks about the whole history of like Disney and streaming. And I found it really interesting because he goes into the nitty gritty of like even cable TV and why Disney would go to the extent of like purchasing stuff like ESPN. And that's all goes back to the whole cable packages thing. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because you're talking about like, oh, are they going to make a dent? Like, I would say like, it's less of a problem for Amazon or Netflix because they're already inside the homes. And mm -hmm. I don't think Netflix is in as much of trouble as they would have thought like six months ago because they just have already such, they have that inertia of already being in people's homes. And then Hulu, of course, Hulu is going to be around as long as Disney wants Hulu around. I mean, I guess if they want to keep the ABC stuff separate, I could see see Hulu still being around. But then, like, it's more Apple that I think is, like, the real challenger when it comes to Disney+, Plus because it's like, there's no guarantee that Steven Spielberg is going to be able to make amazing stories as good as he did in the 80s. There's no guarantee that Oprah stuff is going to be anywhere near as good or reach the same audience that her show used to do. Well, I mean, just to tag on to that, I feel that what Disney's trying to do with Hulu um, is really push, because it's an established streaming platform, it's an established streaming platform that already services up ads, okay? So people are used to what's going on with Hulu in that regard. Now, with that, Hulu has this attention on television, broadcast television, and bringing it into its fold. And so it's really pushing into that area in which live appointment 
television is going to shift that, that cable network model that you mentioned, where Disney bought ABC and ESPN. I mean, which was a smart thing for them to do because ESPN was the most expensive channel right. on every cable package. By far. By far. By far. And so slowly bringing that into the Hulu fold, that's the whole that's the whole uh, genius of what Disney's bringing there. I do feel like Netflix is going to feel more of a pinch than the rest of them because of the simple fact that with Disney coming in, starting at a $7, $8 price point per month and then offering up huge original content with name people right off the bat. They're going to have original content coming out only on that streaming service that's really going to rival what Netflix and Amazon Prime are doing with original content. And Netflix is going to lose a bunch of Disney stuff Yep, as part of that because there goes Pixar, there goes any Disney movies, any Star Wars movies, any Marvel movies. So yeah, I can see that. And that's the thing is, and that's who I see really. I mean, I don't even see Apple as a player in this yet. We don't know when they're going to launch. We don't know how their shows are going to be received. And we don't know what the cost is going to be to the end user. None of that stuff was really... You were shown a little bit about who's going to be on the channel and what it's going to be, but you don't know when all that's going to begin. That's one of the things that um, bothered me about this past event was like only one of the items they talked about had a release date. (laughs) And it's like... Was it the credit card? Well, okay, maybe the credit card, because I do believe they said it was June. Yeah, I believe it was the news, uh, News Plus, at $10 a month starting in the fall. That's the only one we knew. I have concrete details on when this stuff is going to happen. Other than that, it was all fluff. When has Apple ever been in the business of creating original content? Like, even with the music stuff, they don't create their own music, right? And the closest I can think think about that is like when Jobs owned part of Pixar. That's like about as close as I can think of that they ever like had any sort of media. Yeah. They got into like the media creation business. I mean, the only things that I can think of when it came to the media creation business at this point is when they bought those shows like Carpool Karaoke and did Planet of the Apps. And those were disasters. <laughs> well, at least Planet of the Ass is a complete disaster. Yeah. But Carpool Karaoke had already a, a, a following. It was a cultural thing. People knew what that was and what it was about. It may not have had the same people, but they knew what that was. Planet of the Ass was a completely new concept that failed. It's almost like, you know, but you think of some of the areas in which Apple tried to dive into and they didn't do well. And that's like Ping. Remember Ping? Yeah. Well, I don't remember Ping, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Social media. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do that. And then they had something that attached to artists, musical artists. I mean, the reason why iTunes and Apple Music did so well or is doing well is because they were there at the front end of that time where the shift was coming from physical to digital. Right. And they were giving you devices and a platform and so on and so forth that was easy to use that would gather all these songs for you. And even though it was more expensive and more legal than, say, pulling up Napster, it was 10 times more convenient and easier to manage. And it was worth it to people. Yeah, I think that was a big part of why that became such a success. But 
they weren't creating content for it. They were distributing already developed content just in an easier, more effective way. Exactly. And that's where they hold their bread and butter. Um, a device that works exactly how you want it to work, but not necessarily collecting or creating the content to use on that device, which was kind of a, because music has been around forever. And I just don't think that that same thought process is going on with some of these these other things. They should have made Apple TV a better distribution system, similar to what they did with the iPod. I mean, it's good. I mean, I have an Apple TV. We don't have any problems with it. But I mean, you know, with the TV app, that's part of that, in which they're trying to create it like an iTunes-like system in which it gathers all your channels and all you have to go to is in one place. But Netflix opted out of that. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to use this app because it's not going to collect the Netflix programs I'm watching and going right to that. So, I mean, people can opt out of that. And so it makes it less useful. I mean, and I know this is all subjective conversation here, but I'm hoping they don't put all their eggs in this in this basket because, I mean, it's tough. It's hard. Also, look at the stuff that, you know, Facebook is trying to put out device-wise that they've done, like the phone. They, they try to do this portal thing. They're trying to go into video. <laughs> yeah, the Facebook watch. I mean, who watches Facebook watch? Yeah. How do you become a part of that platform? How do you promote it? I mean, they're having problems with that. And yeah. because they're coming in at a point where there's already established players and it's like, it's just difficult because people have all these other options to choose from and they've finally become acclimated to the way things are with these programs. You're going to throw another one in and you're going to be like, ah, I'm good. Yep. So Paul, you know quite a bit about video. Do you want to tell a little bit about your story with Unaduce and what you do? Well, with Introduce Multimedia, we call ourselves a storytelling agency that uses video. And that's basically how we really have uh, applied our trade because any video, anything visual, anything along those lines that's creative content, you got to have a story that drives it. And the other aspect of it was I was a little, you know, over the years coming out of college, going through college and and going into the workforce, I was disgruntled with a lot of the negative stories that were being put out in the media. This is before social media, obviously, which kind of kind of amplified it <laughs> a little bit. But well, which is helpful to me a little bit too, because I wanted to do stories that were positive in nature, that talked about people that were unsung heroes or folks that were making crazy impacts on their community and society and doing awesome things, whether it was a business or a nonprofit organization, which is our primary market, our nonprofit organizations to work with them to help share what they do and why they do it and how they're making that positive impact and use the faces and voices of the folks that are involved. I mean, that's the whole reason for the company and why I've gotten involved with that and what I like to do. And it's just been an amazing journey. And I've been all over the United States being able to capture some of these moments that you would have never gone and done on your own. And it's like, you know, it's educating teens, it's helping families out. It's, it's just amazing. All the positive energy that's out there that's not being shown because it gets drowned out by the 24-hour news cycles that pretty much 
beat you on the head with something negative that's happened. Yeah, and video is such a powerful platform to tell those stories. So that's primarily what you work with, right, is video production when you tell those stories. Do you do audio or any other, or is it primarily video? It's primarily video. We have done some uh, podcast production. We have done some Pandora spots for clients. We will do audio work, you know, voiceovers, stuff like that. We'll, we'll record those and and uh, work with our clients on those if they just need some um, audio work done. But it's primarily video. We, we try to marry both of those worlds together. So let's say you're a company and you want to tell your story, but you're not quite ready to jump in. What do you recommend as like a good way for a company to get started with video using like their already existing like Apple equipment? Well, that's the thing is, I mean, nowadays, 2019, you have a more powerful computer in your pocket than they actually sent to the moon 50 years ago. And with that, comes high-definition cameras, both on the front and the back. So, What do you mean by high-definition cameras, exactly? really don't know how to break that down now, Leo. It's just been so normal. <laughs> uh, well, what I mean is, like, it's HD. If everybody's seen the words HD, it means it's a, a huge... Of course, they're not the same size cameras on the front and the back. The back camera, obviously, is bigger and more powerful and can some, sometimes shoot in 4K. I know I'm getting into the minutia of the formats, but high definition or HD cameras are on, on both sides of your phone. And all you have to do is flip that on and record a video with that. It, it, that's the easiest way to get started. Because as a business owner or as a leader in an organization, you know the ins and outs of your company. And whether or not you have competitors or whatever, you have a certain approach and you do things a certain way. And people want to know you as this person, as this thought leader in your industry, why they should do business with you and how is it going to work for them. And the best way to do that is just put yourself out there. Talk about what's going on in your field, in your industry, and just build that trust from there. That's how you can start. I know that this is an Apple-based show, Smartphones have these cameras, all smartphones. So there's really no excuse on why you really can't get started in video because all you have to do is go to your photos app, push record, or switch it to the video portion, push record, and then you have it on your phone, and then you can distribute it to Facebook and to YouTube and LinkedIn, all these areas that take video and recommend you do video because they have the highest engagement. It's almost like a window to somebody's life. And that's what people like. They see the, see who the person is and hear what they have to say. And you know that's why video is so important and why it's been so powerful. And now the barrier to entry has been lowered. So what kind of like, besides just the built-in camera app, what other software would you recommend if people want to take it to like kind of the next level? You have, a camera app that I highly recommend is uh, Filmic Pro. Yeah, I've recommended that. It's an awesome app. I mean, your built-in camera app is going to work, but if you want to take it to a different level and control some of the lighting, to control some of the output, and so on and so forth, I can't recommend a better app than Filmic Pro. And I still believe that it starts out at free. I believe it starts there and then goes forward from there. I'm 
don't quote me on that. <laughs> that is one that uh, I really, really think is very powerful. I uh, was mentioning this on a couple of episodes ago, but like what I do is I'll take, I have a spare iPhone, like a cheapo iPhone SE. And what I do is there's a Filmic Pro remote app. And then what I can do is set up and use that back camera on my iPhone XS, mm-hmm. set up a tripod, and then in the front of the room, I have the f- iPhone SE, and I could look and see what's going on or what the other camera is seeing. And then I could start recording from that other iPhone. And that's like so nice because then I get the best quality picture. It's recorded to a file that's easily transferable from my iPhone rather than putting it in my photo library, which I don't want to do because I don't want to fill my photo library with a really large file that isn't a cute picture of one of my kids. So like it just makes a lot more sense. And then I could take that file, put it somewhere and edit it like an iMovie or Premiere or whatever, Final Cut Pro, whatever I want to use. Right. Absolutely. I highly agree with that because, you know, Filmic, I mean, that's just a company of itself and their mobile apps are awesome. They also have a bunch of add-ons for your, your camera and so on and so forth to help you get the best out of what you want to do without having to buy I mean, the phones are expensive in and of themselves. I mean, and then buying another DSLR or or camera, that's just adding. And some folks don't want to do that, but they still want to get stretch can on their phone. And that's a hugely crucial program. Speaking of phones, is there any particular phones you'd recommend for doing video recording? I guess like on the Apple side, it seems like an A plus and up would be a really good phone as far as HD. Or do pretty much all their phones do HD now? All their phones do HD, and I would not honestly uh, disregard even going as far back as a 6S with a really good video camera. Okay. I thought the 6S was a really good camera. I, I'm on the 7 right now. I haven't waiting for my contract <laughs> to go up so I can get a new <laughs> camera. But yeah, I mean, the seven is is marvelous. Success has been marvelous. So starting from there on, you're going to be pretty solid, especially on the camera on the back. The front camera has to be smaller and more whatever. It's it's more used for like the selfie stuff and you know video calls, so on and so forth. But the camera on the back, yeah. Since the success, I think they've just done a solid job in creating uh, cameras for the phone. When was the first camera that could do 4K on the back? Do you know? I think that may have been the 7. Was it? Okay. All right. So it may have been like, yeah, the 7 or 7 Plus that has the H, the 4K back, back camera. But yeah, it's pretty amazing what you can get these phones. So let's say you have the video now. What would be the best and easiest way to just edit that video on someone's computer? Or what could you edit on the phone, I guess? You can. And Apple has two really great free apps that they've made themselves that I think are just wonderfully done. They are, before I leave everybody in suspense here, they're Clips and iMovie. Clips is really good to, to throw something together for social media. They have a great graphics ability. They have some good trimming options and stuff like that. iMovie blew me away. It blew me away with what it could do just on a phone. I was like, you could honestly edit some really big time things on on the on the mobile platform with iMovie. I mean, it still had 
it was still didn't have all the bells and whistles of a full blown video editing software. But I thought right off the bat and being free, both of those that you can just download off the app store right now, which I recommend everybody to do if you want to do any type of video development using your mobile devices, clips and iMovie, I can't recommend more. And then from those apps, you can just go ahead and export it anywhere, right? Like save it to your photos library or export it to YouTube or whatever. Absolutely. Both of them have a multiple sharing options for you to do on your export. Plus keep a solid file for you to do whatever you want with elsewhere. Maybe re-edit it, put it at a different platform or just share it at a different time. You know, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it. So. What other hardware recommendations would you recommend? Well, I mean, hardware recommendations? Oh, man. Way to narrow it down, Leo. Would you just say, like, oh, just get any old Mac? Maybe an iPad be even more beneficial if you're going to do editing? You know, an iPad to do any on-the-go editing will be helpful because it's a bigger screen real estate. You're able to get your fingers to pinch and zoom better on a bigger screen. Any type of bigger screen is going to be helpful. Yeah, I agree. Especially with like iMovie, I think like it's not impossible to do it on the iPhone. I think you can get away with it, especially if it's a short enough movie. But like if you're doing anything longer, like it's just so much easier to just have that screen real estate on the iPad. And it doesn't even have to be a fancy iPad as long as you have the video on it somehow. Like the important thing is just the user interface because you've already recorded it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I, I mean, the iPads are just getting better and better and better and more speedy. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's not quite a laptop killer yet. It's actually far from that, but it can really, uh, really help, especially in the video editing space if you're just doing something simple like with iMovie or Clips. Yep. So for your company, obviously you must have a few Macs and equipment. What kind of equipment do you have? Like what kind of Macs do you have at your production company? We do all of our stuff on three iMacs. We have three iMacs that do all of our post-production and uh, archiving work, so, so on and so forth. And then I have a MacBook Pro that I have. I can do all my administrative stuff. But a lot of the stuff we use is through iCloud. So, you know, all of our calendars are synced. All of our contacts are synced through everything. If I have, I have a Mac Mini at home, that's also hooked to our iCloud. So if I need to do something really quick on the Mac Mini at home, I have that. I mean, yep, I still have the Mac Mini. Not the newest one, but the one that was a version before that. Well, yeah, so I mean, it's really a solid ecosystem in here. And I use iMacs on purpose because they're really fast machines that can handle heavy-duty files, but they're also a screen and CPU all-in-one. You don't have to really... You don't really have to shell out for one or the other or, or get a screen and a CPU. I mean, I've been using the iMacs for years upon years. And I just felt like that's a, a, a solid tool to do the video work you need to do. Yeah, I agree. Like, I love my iMac. I could lose my MacBook Pro and I'd be okay with that. But like the iMac, I just get so much more work done and that screen size is so useful. Have you thought like... If you were going to buy another Mac, would you still go with the iMac? Would you maybe go with the iMac Pro? What's your positioning on that right now? I'm actually in the same boat where I'm like, my I have a 2014 iMac. And uh, as soon as I can, I'll probably upgrade it to something new. And they just came out with like upgraded iMacs. 
So part of me is like, okay, do I get an iMac? Should I just go shell out the extra money for a pro? Like, what should I be doing? Well, in our case, with the shift in the industry and technology, an iMac Pro is what my eye is set on. Okay. Because of the simple fact that it has, it can take on more RAM. And I know that Apple is building their software to really take advantage of what the iMac Pro does because it's going to be more 4K content, which, okay, for those that don't understand what the difference is between high def and 4K is the fact that 4K, most people know the highest version of high definition, 4K is four times as much as that in resolution and screen space. Well, and it also has a larger color gamut, so you even got that on top of it. Right. And so that's going to be more or less shaking itself out in the next couple of years with new technology becoming better. So with that, those are our thoughts as a company going into when we replace the computers that we have now. We've had them for several years. And, and one thing that Apple has done with what they've done with their hardware is they've made it because we also use Final Cut Pro. And a lot of folks ask, why do I choose Final Cut Pro? Well, by choosing Final Cut Pro as our main editing platform, not only is everything synced, you know, we can have projects on one computer or one hard drive, just plug it into the next one, and then the other person can edit it as well with no problems or vice versa when you transfer those files. But when they went to Final Cut Pro 10, which was a huge controversial issue because it completely changed how the platform worked, how it looked, how it felt to those who are used to the way Final Cut was built prior. But by doing that, they allowed the platform to not just ping the RAM, but the G, the graphics processing unit. So they beefed up the graphics processing unit. So therefore, your computer wasn't getting hit as hard with these high-definition files, and you're allowed to extend their lifespan. So because... Before, I would have to replace a computer every year and a half because it would just be done. It's done. You kick the crap out of me with all those high-def files. I can't do it anymore. But when they re-architected, I don't even know if that's a word, Final Cut, they allowed, they allowed the machines to have a longer lifespan because it wasn't hitting the CPU so badly, if that makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. I mean, their stuff is really built around their hardware, and it makes complete sense. Have you thought maybe like getting a Mac Mini for any like behind the scenes rendering? Or is that just not a problem where you're at? Well, that's the other thing with the way Final Cut works is like you don't have to have these large render farms or anything like that, or you know you don't have to leave like for forty five minutes to let something render just to see if it's gonna work out. I mean, they do all the rendering in the background. It does depend on the speed of your system, how fast that background rendering works, but it's an amazing thing in which it's really increased our efficiency in getting things done on time because things just happen in the background. As for the Mac Mini, let's not discount what it can do. Now, a Mac Mini is another really powerful, compact machine that can do a lot of the things that some of these older iMacs from 2017 and beyond, not the iMac Pro, but they're a solid these new Mac Minis, like, they're not like, oh, your grandma needs a computer. Let's just get her a Mac Mini and then all we have to do. It's not, they weren't targeting that market when they announced it at March. Like, it's a professional computer 
for like software developers who need like a something to run tests all the time or for video production people to like constantly run render video in the background so that way you know it's something you just keep keep going in the cloud in the background without having to worry about it and doing heavy lifting or processing they're like heavy computers uh, and solid ones that just don't happen to have a monitor attached to it right right i mean that's the only thing but they're really inexpensive as opposed to like a mac pro or whatever in which you have to buy a three thousand four thousand dollar machine and then buy a monitor that will work with it see a mac mini is what twelve hundred dollars or less Mm -hmm. yeah uh, i think like 800 for the cheapest yeah and so that's really inexpensive for a computer for one that you want to do some solid solid work on and you just buy a, a display that goes alongside that and you're spending like about the same you would for a laptop but you're getting a more powerful machine yeah, that makes total sense. So before we close out, I guess I wanted to get like, what kind of IT issues do you run into when you are, what are some common IT issues that you run into running your, your equipment? Common IT issues, the biggest thing is archiving, backup, that type of deal. Because the files we have are so massive and we're just a small outfit. We're, we're not like it you know, 10, 15 person production house. We really run through terabytes upon terabytes of information. Yeah, I can imagine. The biggest thing that we have is obviously, you know, the archival and backup process, which we don't have streamlined yet. The trust in the cloud, not quite there for the backup and archival stuff up there. The one thing we do use the cloud for or what we do is just client approvals, so on and so forth, that type of deal, distributing videos over the web. We use Dropbox for that. We have a business account with Dropbox, and they've just been a solid player to handle what we need them to do. There's other folks that have better client approval check-in processes, and we've just got to evaluate all that. But, I mean, the biggest IT issue that we have right now, like I said, is you know the archival and backups of stuff because it's just it just takes up so much space and you know we're just with multiple drives and this and that we you know and another thing i'd like to get into is more or less trying to edit appropriately off of one drive and not have to worry about swapping drives and this and that and that type of thing so just got to figure out technology in some ways is there but it's just not affordable with our budget right now but Things are constantly changing, so we just wait for the change that will benefit us. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I use Backblaze for my cloud backup. You know, you can never have too much backup. But um, one thing I wanted to bring up is they have a whole uh, series of blog posts about uh, hard drive health. They talk about how, like, you know, different hard drives are really good for archiving and speed and and the differences between different hard drives, because it can make make a lot of you know sense. You want to make sure you have something to keep yourself safe and reliable in case something goes down. Agreed. And we, when it comes to hard drives, we use two companies and two companies only, and that's Lissy and Western Digital. Both of those have been very solid players for us and have worked immensely well. And we really enjoy what they have. I mean. I haven't used any GTEC drives. I mean, I hear they're pretty good, but you just go with what you know, what you uh, are uh, comfortable with. Yeah, 
we talked a little bit about getting started with like video. What do you guys offer or what does Unidos do that takes it to like the next level? Because at some point you're either are going to like <laughs> become your own like storytelling company or your video can only get so good. If that's not your bread and butter, what can Unidos do to take it to the next level? That's a great question, Leo. And what we do is not only do we give you something with the professional polish that you need to really stand out from the noise that's out there and make yourself, you know, stand out from your competition. I mean, that's the normal thing that people will say, but when you're doing video for yourself, that's one thing. But when doing selfie videos is basically for the people that already know and have bought into what you do. However, how do you bring in new people? How do you capture their trust? And that's when you need a company like ours to come in to help tell that story from an outsider's perspective, ask the appropriate questions and get those recorded. And that's where that beauty is because you want this video to help to work for you when your office is closed. You want that out there shouting to the the masses why they should work with your organization. And you know, that's what you want. You want that beautiful moving billboard and it's worth every penny because it works for you when you're at home binge watching your favorite show. Yeah. I think I know and I've seen your work and we'll share your YouTube channel in our show notes, but Paul definitely knows what he's talking about when it comes to video and not just video, but like you said, the storytelling aspect of it, because there's a lot of video out there that's just facts. <laughs> but mm -hmm. if you want a story attached to your company, Paul knows knows how to do it. Paul and I also, we uh, partner up on a little marketing hacking group, and uh, we meet what, every other month and present on different topics. And Paul recently talked about building Alexa skills and I'll post a link to that video as well. Yeah. If that's something you're interested in, it takes podcasts to a whole other level and a whole other media and you should definitely check that out. I wanted to ask you before we close out, what are some software things that maybe you're looking forward to at the next WWDC? I mean, it's not the software as, you know, I always like their, their incremental updates and what they do with the OS and, uh, the iOS stuff like that. I, I enjoy hearing what, how they're advancing the stuff that they're putting out there. That's one of the favorite things I like. But my interest level is in the hardware. Okay, what, what are your new computers going to do? What are the price points to get these where they're effective or it's, it's budget conscious for me, and, but also getting the throughput I need to get the job done. I mean, I'm not worried about that because we're working with, you know, four-year-old iMacs currently, which and they're working fine. But what are we going to be looking forward to, you know, and how is the software and hardware going to integrate and help push my business forward? Yeah, I think it seems like their updates have been fairly solid. You think we're going to get new computers in June or do you think they're going to wait until later? I think, if anything, they might pre-announce the Mac Pro, but I'm not so sure there's going to be much of anything else. I think, yeah, they're going to reveal the new Mac Pro. Now, they're also getting into the display game again, so they're going to be creating their own displays. So I'd like to see what that looks like, too, alongside with uh, the Mac Pro. I'm not sure if it's going to be at WWDC, but I know that 
That's uh, part of their forward thinking plan. And other than that, you know, I just wish that sometimes they would, you know, with WWDC, it's all about, well, here's how you can integrate your app into our operating system. But I really wish they would do a, a sidebar about the pro apps that they do create and what they're thinking of and what they're looking at and do some demos there. I mean, there's ways to get those demos, but it'd be cool to have that as part of that keynote as well. I just think that, you know, the pro creative market especially have been using Macs for decades. And it's like, what are you doing to really target that market as well? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. We'll see what's going to happen in June. Yeah. I hope there is like a little bit more guidance on that, on the pro market. Thanks again, Paul, for coming on the show. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. Please uh, tweet at us at BreakDigit if you have any questions or feedback on our episode, or you can reach me, Leo, at BreakDigit.com. We'll have links to Paul's stuff in our show notes, and we will talk to you next time. See you.